I love this space because it brings together people from all walks of life and we are able to intersect uh, issues of culture, history, peoples, flows um, from a very multicultural place. And so I am very uh, happy to have my two guests today who represent this kind of a flow. And for this specific case is kind of the Filipino flow in the educational spaces. And so let me first introduce my two guests and so they can maybe introduce a little bit more about themselves and why we are here today to talk about um, Filipino migration flows uh, through a particular film that's out. So we have Adrian Alarila, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. Uh, Adrian is a writer, filmmaker, and a PhD candidate in history here at UH Manoa, studying Filipino migration, focusing on the kinship networks and genealogies of movement in both US empire and Filipino nation. We also have Kenneth Cardenas. I should have asked you guys this before <laughs> in this place. Um, Kenneth is a PhD candidate in geography at York University in Toronto studying the big business of building big cities in the global south. Right, so welcome both of you to K2H. And uh, Adrian, I know you are off from UH, but you're in Seattle right now. So why don't you kick it off and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, uh, thank you so much, Crystal. I, I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, this, this time to talk and to talk story and stuff. Um, yeah, uh, so I'm a PhD candidate in history. Um, I, uh, I just finished my coursework uh, last year, so that's why I moved back uh, here in uh, Seattle um, to uh, be with family, do some archival field work, um, but yeah, mainly just to be back with family after um living three years in Hawaii so yeah great and Kenneth tell us about Hi. yourself thanks for uh inviting me um what about me I yeah I'm a PhD student um one of those all but dissertation types uh would take forever to finish uh part of it is a sort of um I found a nice term for it. it's called a pre-partum anxiety I think is a term for it yeah like uh, uh the past few years I've been taking a good look around at the people around me and I'm, I'm like I don't want to become these people oh. uh, and I think part of the seed for that was working on this film uh, because I've now been more and more drawn to the figure of the storyteller rather than the you know the the critical academic uh scholar or whatever it is um that um, have the kind of figure that has surrounded me in the past few years. So that's been uh, a big interest of mine these past few years, uh, like political storytelling. And I think um, AD inviting me to make this film uh, seeded that interest. Cool. I like that, political storytelling. And, you know, we often don't think about stories being political. Um, stories have such, um, I think it's, it's an undervalued way of learning history uh, because we often look to history books. We look at these hard academic, you know, approaches to what we think we should know in a very dry way. And stories bring personal experiences on the table that open up a deeper way of knowing in my, that's how I feel about it. So as I understand you, 
you you've created this film, you know, um, called Kongsan Mantayo. Can you help me route? Okay. Um, yeah. Translated to wherever we may be. And it's uh, kind of like, it seems like a, a compilation of like stories of, well, why don't you tell us, Adrian, in a nutshell, like what is this film about and how this came to be so we can start this conversation off? Sure, uh, definitely. Uh, thank you. So, um, so I, um, before I um, made this film, I've been doing uh, sort of documentary, experimental documentary films about me. So very personal documentaries exploring my own experience, my own life experiences and all of that. And um, I, I kind of wanted to stay in the format, but I didn't want to be just talking about myself. And um, prior to this project, I was talk. my short film documentary was about my own experience migrating um, to the U.S. and, you know, learning about the deeper history of Filipino migration uh, to the U.S. Uh, during uh, the uh, uh, U.S. occupation period. Um, and I wanted to learn more about other uh, people's experiences uh, of migrating, especially Filipinos, um, and while at the same time staying true to the personal documentary style. Um, so I approached a bunch of my um, uh, former classmates. So that was another thing that I was trying to process for myself because I'm, I'm, I'm a migrant, but in my previous life back in the Philippines, I was a state scholar um, since high school, meaning um, I, my education has been largely funded by the Filipino public and, um, and, you know, migrating to the U S um, it, I, I carried with me a lot of guilt about that. Like um, I, I was supposed, I was trained to be giving back to the Philippines, but now where, where am I? Um, and I was wondering if I was alone in that sentiment. So yeah, I reached out to my uh, friends, uh, reached out to see if anyone was interested. Um, back then, smartphones weren't as um, high definition as they were now. So um, we decided to send, send out my camera, um, my video camera, which was just a small dinky, you know, handheld camera um, and send it one by one to each person until the camera pretty much circumnavigated the world um, and just have them talk about their experiences of uh, migrating to where they were by then yeah so in a sense the camera serves as a really interesting role it's like it's it's part of the flow right it, it's part of this transitional conversation that connects people i love that that you have this material technical equipment that is actually connecting you all you know because we think virtually and we think like okay well we just pop on our computers but that was a physical element that you had there and we're not talking that long ago you just, i think wait, was it 2014 15 yeah 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so how did you both meet? Is this also from school days or what? Yeah, yeah, we were uh, classmates uh, in high school. We weren't particularly close. We ran in different circles at that time. Um, Where was this? Where's high school? Uh, high school Philippines. Philippine Science High School. Yeah, so it was a is state. It like an international school or is it like when you say state? Oh, so it's, it's government funded. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Like maybe the closest analog to an American listener is like the magnet schools of, of New York State, like those magnet high schools. Um, yeah, they were started back in the 60s as the sort of um, uh, attractors for top uh, scorers on national tests. And um, uh, the, 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 the intent, the sort of nationalist intent of that was to create sciences, uh, scientists and engineers for the nation. Specifically you know, in those areas. What's that? Was it specifically in those areas that they were trying to encourage? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So the agreement was our whole high school would be entirely funded. Um, we would have, our, our classes would be geared mainly to STEM, like science, mathematics, technology. Uh, and then, um, and then we, we, when we graduate and go to college, we have to take up a, a STEM course, basically. Yeah. And did you? Neither of us did that. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. right. So were you violating their codes or what? Yeah, we were violating an agreement. We were forced to sign at 11 years old. You actually signed an agreement? Like, I yeah, guess. Yeah, there was this contract. That, that was, a, like, in, in retrospect, a lot of it is is very sus, like it, it's, um, a lot of it is this notion of uh, nationalism and how it involves self-sacrifice that you'll give up um, a particular sense or some freedom as to who you could become in exchange for, um, in exchange for a, a great education actually. It was, it was an amazing education. Um, it was also accessible in the sense that um, it was completely free. It was one of it was a marvelous space of encounter in the sense that uh, the campus drew people from all over the country. Um, for context, in the Philippines, uh, a lot of education is very segregated along class, status, and religious lines. Like a lot of people for their um, K to twelve education, they go to school with people who are of the same religion, come from you know, more or less the same economic strata. Um, and a lot of sort of um, walls and divisions in, in the country are sort of reified and made even more real by, by the fact that you never get to meet anybody from outside of these circles until, you, I don't know, you end up in work or you end up in university. Uh, and we uh, at, at that high school had that amazing opportunity that I think everybody should have. Not just but how do they do that? How, how were they able to break down class distinctions in the school? It was, completely any... free. It was, it was a competitive exam. It was completely free once you get in. It was also a boarding school, so people from all over the country can come in. Um, uh, so it's, it's, it's in many ways um, a vision of education, a 20th century vision of education that 
um, has been abandoned by most uh, by most of the educa basic education sector in the Philippines. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. So this was kind of a time and place that kind of privileged you for that opportunity to go to where you are today, in a sense, that doesn't exist anymore? Like, well, I, I don't want to take up too much time, but but Edie, what do you think? What do you think of how that's changed? Um, I, I know that um, there has been an explosion of regional science high schools since our time. Um, so I don't know how much that has affected the main campus. So we were in the main campus, um, which was in the capital of the Philippines, uh, basically. Um, I wouldn't say it was uh, that we were as well, well, we were privileged, but, you know, privileged in terms of like uh, a merit meritocratic, you know, yeah. system, because right. we were basically the top 240 students who took that exam in all of the Philippines and during that particular year. Wow. Yeah. I want to go back to the fact that you both didn't study what they kind of <laughs> groomed you to study. And what does that mean? And, you know, tell me, tell us. I, I can start, I guess. Um, I did. I did uh, take up engineering for my first year. I, I tried my best. I tried. I, I was very earnest, but it just wasn't for me. Um, and I, I don't know um, your experience, Kenneth, but maybe because I migrated because of family, my my mother petitioned me um, before I was able to leave the country. Um, my parents basically had to pay back my entire tuition for the whole four years because I was abandoning <laughs> the Philippines. Wow. That, how did your parents feel about that? Like, you know, that's just, it's one thing for you to go and pursue your dreams that is not in those kind of what we deem as success kind of pipelines, but also for them to have to pay it back. It's like, uh, that's just like daunting. Well, for them, it, it was daunting, but it was a worthwhile investment because I was leaving the country. So um, the, it's, it's kind of the tension that uh, we were exploring for much of the film is that we, were, we grew up and were trained to have this nationalistic mindset um, within the classrooms. But at the same time, in Filipino society, um, migrating out of the country is a big deal. It's, it's, it's a big goal for a lot of people. But like, if you've left the country, then you've made it. Um, so, um, yeah, just, just, uh, so my parents were okay with it, if it oh. meant that I could leave the country. Okay. Kenneth, you want to share to that, add to that? Uh, yeah, as with AD, um, I... I took geology, uh, um, a science major for my first year in undergrad. Um, but this is where the contradictions of that notion of nationalism as codified by, by the school starts to fall apart because you take a look around you, a lot of the people who were in my, in my class, I think they're all like 90% of them are in the mining industry. Mining? Uh, Mining, yeah, because you know geologists. Oh right, okay, right. Um, and you know, I, I'm not. I don't have anything against my classmates per se, 
<laughs> but in, in a context where um, science and engineering careers might mean A, participating in extractive industries in the country, or B, uh, working as engineers in, uh, in multinational companies investing in the country, but also you know, uh, basically uh, squeezing it for what it's worth, it then becomes, it, there's a conundrum there that um, the, um, the, the contract as, as it was laid out does not really allow for any uh, room of maneuver, room for, for movement, room for critical thinking. Hmm. And that's, um, and that in my case was resolved by me shifting to sociology. Uh, so I spent the rest of my undergrad in the Philippines. They never, they never asked for any money back. I think it's because I didn't take a, another scholarship when I went into undergrad. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's that sort of tension that I think a lot of Filipinos still grapple with because we do grow up with a very sort of a duty uh, and sacrifice sort of notion of what nationalism is. Um, it's got this strong anti-colonial current, but also a strong moralistic component as well. Yeah. Where if you stray from the script a little bit, well, then you're not, you don't love uh, your fellow country men and women, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. That, that's really interesting. And I think that's something that we often um, as Americans don't think about because we don't have that backdrop of what it means to grow up in a more kind of a national um, colonized uh, country. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back and maybe add a little more context to um, what it meant to grow up in the Philippines and what it means um, in this transformational experience coming and being educated in the States. And, you know, again, the source for your stories and, and these conflicting ideas and tensions between your identity uh, as a Filipino and your identity as, I don't know, being here in America and just being yourself, right? So uh, let's continue this really important conversation. We, we are talking to um, Adrian and Kenneth. Welcome back. I am talking to Adrian and Kenneth about their lives and oh, conflicting and complex identity issues, uh, having grown up in the Philippines and being scholars, both of you PhD candidates in your own fields, to talk about the tensions between what you're grown, grown up to um, feel obligated I don't know if that's the word because you know for me being Chinese I, I understand that sense of kind of familial duty but yours is a it's, it's a different it, it goes deeper it's this nationalistic duty um, and a lot of like I said before is I think a lot of Americans may or may not really kind of identify or truly understand what it means um, so I wanted this space for both of you to maybe share that experience um, what did it feel like to have these kind of underlying coded obligations to your country and still feeling the liberation, the opportunity to come out here to, to be educated and to, to, to pursue your own dreams and, and embrace this kind of individualistic uh, world here while still, you know, you, you know, you've got that strong cultural background and how do you, how do you navigate that relationship 
And I think that's what your the film speaks to too. So maybe share a little bit more about that. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Thank you. Um, when I first moved to the US, uh, I was definitely grappling with all of those things. Um, but, um, you know, with, with through my uh, research as a PhD student, and also with this film, the more I think about it, um, the less I think think of migration as, you know, as freedom, as, you know, as, as being free and being individualistic, because, um, so uh, when, when you introduce me, uh, uh, I, I am studying um, the history of Filipino migration, and the more I read up on it, the more I realize that Filipino migration is so tightly embedded into uh, the uh, our colonial experience um, during U.S. occupation. Um, you know, uh, there was a shortage of uh, of labor in a lot of uh, rural places in the U.S., including Hawaii and uh, the U.S. West Coast, and so. Um, Filipinos were uh, were engaged to um, to uh, to fill those positions, and um, you know, since since the very beginning, the the notion of uh, migrating to the U.S. Uh, which and Hawaii, which was seen as a land of glory by these early Filipino migrants. Um, you know, it was always framed as that, you know, that, uh, that uh, promise of individual freedom and, uh, and uh, monetary reward, you'll, you'll get rich, you'll come back rich. Um, and the more I study about, you know, Filipino migration flows, the more I realize how deeply embedded it is in this, um, international labor export economy that um, the Philippine government has itself set up and um, I think um, some of the some of the segments of our film talk about that briefly um, for example uh, one of our friends um, who was an architecture major um, uh, their their program, already had connections to Singapore companies. And so these Singaporean companies were, were, uh, were inviting, uh, you know, these uh, graduates of uh, these state scholars to work for them, at least for that time. I think it has since, that program has since stopped. Yeah, how about you, Kenneth? Mm, yeah, I, I never, I'm not sure if I ever really uh, thought of my own um, migration as a matter of individual freedom or of pursuing uh, uh, wealth or glory overseas. Um, uh, certainly, I, if we're to talk about um, the matter of loyalty and to loyalty to certain notions of duty, I never really felt a sense of loyalty or duty to the Philippine state, um, even though it had 
been the agent of, of, of um, my education. Um, it still is ultimately a colonial enterprise. It's a broker for extractive relationships of, uh, of um, sending Filipino bodies overseas. It's, um, it is engaged in a very exploitative relationship with its um, dispossessed, uh, many dispossessed peoples. Um, so I never really found any loyalty to that idea. Um, more and more, I'm more inclined to think of loyalty to the archipelago, not just of the Philippine archipelago, but in a more figurative sense, the archipelago of dispossessed peoples across times and spaces. And um, um, that sort of solidarity and that sort of loyalty, um, I could only really form by being in contact with uh, with people from from uh, from all over, um, there are certain stories and there are certain aspects of of uh, of life in today's world that are not uh, spoken of within uh, within the Philippines and within the context of uh, uh, Philippine education as to what. Uh, nationalism is or as to what feeling is. I mean, I like the way somebody had, had put it, like the, the, the whole point of, of a history curriculum is to teach young men and women to die in wars. And that is certainly the case for uh, a lot of uh, the history curriculum in the Philippines. Like there's an anti-colonial aspect to it, sure, but the colonizer is always seen as, um, you know, as Spain or as Japan or as the United States. Um, you don't quite see a lot of um, uh, solidarity building between the colonies um, or, or the story, or you, you don't see lessons being drawn from other dispossessed peoples in time and space. And I feel more and more an affinity for those stories. Um, and it's only through uh, this uh, journey of movement that I've been able to, to do that. Um, I wanted to point out very briefly that um, the uh, the world of uh, of um, of migrants has always 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 been very very international or transnational. Um, Ad's uh, camera when he sent it around the world, he named it after a slave who was um, who was um, on uh, Magellan's uh, voyage of discovery. Um, he was a baptized Enrique. He is a, he was a slave of I believe uh, Malacca, Enrique of Malacca, right? Yeah. And from the early modern period, no, even before the early modern period, the crews of of ships around the world have always, always, always been international. They might be um, under the subjugation of of um, of imperial powers. The whole enterprise might have been one of slavery and exploitation and colonialism. Um, but below decks, and I think this is still true in a literal and in a figurative sense as well around the cities all across the world, um, the people have always, always been transnational, international. We have always been archipelagic. And I think that's one aspect of Filipino uh, experience and identity that I'd like to uh, understand more and draw from. I'm glad you brought that up, the, the significance of transnational kind of conversations, because I have a problem with like the whole Asian American narrative here, 
it's just so reductive and we don't recognize the transnational history and the connections. Uh, we seem to kind of think that history started for us here in the States um, and don't really value how we came to be, then the migration flows, the, 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 um, the bodies, the labored bodies of people of color from all over the place and 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 you know the languages and the um, the multiculturalism that is coming because of these the, the colonial histories and and so on and so forth. Um, so, you know, your story in the film, I feel like it's an attempt to address that. You know, by even just the the basic um, representation of people who are in different places. You know, Paris, uh, Toronto. You know, all over the world that we don't think about, and and the voices of people sharing the experience of what it means, what 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 their identity is, and what it means to stay there. And language. I also wanted to bring that into focus. I thought it was really interesting that most of it was in Tagalog and not. No, no, there was no effort to translate it. Like, so who was your audience and why did you feel it was so important to kind of create this conversation that's centered around um, your language? I think uh, that that just came naturally uh, when we, I, I, at least for me, when, when we were making this film, we weren't really thinking of an audience. We were just talking with each other and it felt most comfortable and familiar to talk to each other uh, the way we talk uh, back in school, which is Tagalog, but with that, um, with the interspersing of English. Yeah, word. yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a very special place that you've um, connected. Um, but were there some surprises uh, when you looked at, as you kind of, threaded the stories together uh, of maybe some reflections that might kind of come out of that were there or were there some kind of commonalities that you thought were really kind of um, revealing of how you feel about the you know these conflicting feelings of of your country and being displaced and the migrating aspects of your lives Kenneth do you want to start this time well, let's take one more quick break and let's do that. Have a little sip of water or wine or whatever. Um, I am talking to um, Adrian and Kenneth about their film that really kind of shares stories of, of migrating. Well, it's not really migrating. It's, I mean, it's Filipino migration, but through the eyes of scholars and the displacement or the movements um, that take you all into different places. And I think it's really fascinating, this kind of entrance into um, your history. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back and continue. All right, back in. You know, I wish I could speak Tagalog because I feel like this is a space where there's that feeling, you know, and even if I don't speak the language, I understand transnationality. I am so conflicted because my heart and my my, so much of my history is based in Hong Kong and I'm here now and I don't feel completely rooted here, to be honest. And I miss conversations with people that you are bonded in something so deep that you can't express that value. And I appreciate that. So please share. Oh, uh, about the language thing? Yeah, sure. Yeah, kind of tell yeah. me about that language. So, part. Um, um, in my case, 
part, part of this, part of the things I did when the camera was with me was I went and had conversations with people in Toronto that wasn't really included in the film. Maybe AD and I will work on a follow-up on that, but uh, Tagalog um, and other Filipino languages are uh, some of the fastest growing languages in Ontario and certainly in Toronto. Um, um, for some context, uh, Ontario has two parallel public school boards. It has the secular, um, or most, most municipalities would have a separate, a completely secular board and a separate Catholic board. And this was initially a concession to uh, French Canadians, yeah? But as the decades have passed, there's been an ecological succession of Catholics and Catholic adjacent peoples in these spaces. So uh, you go into any given uh, Toronto Catholic public school now, uh, a good 50% of the students there would be Filipinos and Filipino Canadians. One, 1.5 second generation kids, yeah. So Toronto is actually something of a, of a hotbed of um, cultural ferment right now for, for Filipino and hyphenated Filipino cultures. Like I, no offense to Hawaii, no offense to San Francisco, but I feel that the second best Filipino food in the world right now is in Toronto. All the kids are taking all sorts of interesting approaches to it, but you also have like um, uh, the, the, the sort of Sari Sari store slash Karinderia experience still alive here. Um, what, what else did I have want to say about that? Oh, an interesting point. Um, some, of the, some of the Tagalog words are actually percolating into, okay. Um, a few people in my world are nurses and healthcare practitioners, and that's been a big, avenue for Filipino migration, yeah? In Ontario hospitals, I have it on good authority that the word baon, which means like a packed lunch, or uh, what's, what's, what's the Japanese word for it? It's like the- um, uh, like the, Bento. Bento. Or bento, yeah. yeah ben, and, uh, and in so Chinese, it's bintong, or Mandarin, it's bintang. So it's actually the same word or character, if you think about it. Oh, I wonder if Baon actually is cognate to those. Mm, what's the origins of it? Yeah. Yeah, but but Baon is now like uh, the standard word in a lot of uh, in a lot of Ontario hospitals because it's all like the Filipino aunties bringing Baon, right? Like, what's your Baon today? It's now sort of entered that that, that space. Interesting, and I just had an idea. Did you have you guys seen? Um, this new, I'm not trying to promote the show, but Lisa Ling, the journalist from CNN, she created a, a new series on food, on Asian American food. And her first episode, which I just started watching, is on uh, Filipino American food. And it's interesting because, you know, she goes and she sits in these families who are cre uh, just putting out these very um, authentic foods uh, that are close to home, comfort foods, whatever, historically, how that's kind of passed on. And one of the... Um, one of the ladies who was preparing this food said she wished Filipino cuisine could be on the same level as when people go, oh, I feel like going for, you know, Thai food tonight. Like, why is Filipino food never in that? And, you know, you think about his, America's narrative of how we create these certain images and reputations of foods. And there's a hierarchy in it, right? And where it comes from. And, and Filipino culture is, is has a 
you know, it is associated with labored bodies. Um, and we can't seem to break that, you know, and, and so I think you're breaking that now by just talking about, you know, your experiences, but I just thought I'd bring that out there and, and maybe you can check it out, but um, it's an interesting thing through food and language. Yeah. I, I, I definitely love to check it out. It also reminded me of that segment in your, uh, in your part, Kenneth, uh, when you were taught, when you were at the Filipino restaurant, just eating and then uh, a complete stranger like uh, asks to sit uh, with them and they all just start chatting and start speaking Tagalog and it for for a moment uh, like well while watching it I for the first time I almost forgot that you were in Toronto and like you were just in another Karinderia in in Manila or something and it, it was just so such a lovely moment of connection. Oh yeah, oh totally. That was so. That was so canto. That was so carinderia. Like um, so for for context, yeah, it was uh, a lot of uh, Filipino retail spaces. I think a lot of migrant retail spaces in North America are combination convenience stores and a hot plate, right? Yeah. So yeah, um, me and uh, one of my um, one of my contacts were were yeah just having a meal and having the camera rolling. Couple of kids come in. They just came from a basketball game, of all things. Um, and their Tagalog sounded to me. It sounded to me like they were um, they were in in Manila. <laughs> At least one of those kids have never been in Manila, from what I can tell. From what from what I heard from them eventually. So there is that there is that ferment, and uh, food I think is a perfect embodiment of that kind of. Um, creativity and culture from below like food is always the sort of thing that's shared you know like thinking of uh uh you know in our corner of the world there's lots of there's lots of uh shall we say um saber rattling around the south china south china sea and the west philippine sea as we like to call it in the philippines for real, the actual experiences of, of fisher folk in the in the South China Sea is that when a Vietnamese boat comes in and a China and a Chinese boat comes in, a Filipino boat comes in, like before all the militaries got involved, if one of them was going low on rice or fish, they just give it to the other boat. Mm. And they, you know, like that, that in that way, you know, like fish sauce from Vietnam or fish sauce from the Philippines gets introduced into. I don't know, for instance, like a Cantonese dish, right? Like food yeah. has always been this kind of space where care is just the predominant logic. It hasn't been about extraction. It's about coming together. Yeah, coming right. together. That's the key. And I feel right. like this kind of collective gathering is something that's um, really um, embedded in Asian cultures, whereas, you know, Americans' individualism is more about your own spirit, right? Your own kind of free spirit and, and personal pursuits of your dreams and desires, which to me sometimes, and I guess I don't mean to be insulting to American culture, but it does lack that collectivity that I miss, like this idea of doing things for everyone. You know, mm -hmm. and that food is a place that that. It, and when we say family, it, don't, it doesn't mean immediate family. It means like your cultural family, like you know. And that I could see in the film too, like you know the way you speak to each other. It, even though they're individual stories, you sense that kind of connectivity through language again. Um, and no matter where you go, so. 
I don't know. I mean, what are some other flows that you think you wanted to bring to the table? Like, we're, I wanted to add gender to the, you know, the, the discussion, like whether how, how that how much that differentiates the experience, you know? I, I, I think um, when we were making this film, um, we weren't really thinking about, you know, gender representation as much. Um, I, I was just looking for anyone who was interested. And, um, and so it, 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 it's kind of funny that, you know, uh, of the final participants, like we were kind of evenly, um, yeah, evenly uh, divided. Like there were three, uh, three women and three men um, and me in between. <laughs> uh, but were there expectations, different expectations based on gender? So like, cause I know one of the female um, storytellers, you know, she showed pictures of her marriage. Like that was her personal journey. Um, marriage was part of her kind of, you know, experience. Uh, and, and, and then the mixed marriage, the idea of like, okay, so I'm embracing this new culture and I've, I've met this wonderful partner and it's going to open up a different culture to my life now. Um, you know, how do those things come into play uh, in grappling with your own identity and the idea of this migrated body? Definitely. I, I, I don't want to speak for them, but uh, definitely um, the, you, 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 there, there were those patterns of um, marriage running through um, most of the uh, um, uh, our female participants' uh, stories. And even when looking at the larger history of Filipino migration, um, like part of my dissertation is looking exactly at uh, Filipino, like women's migration. And a lot of that, uh, of Filipino migration to Hawaii and the US West Coast during the early part of the 20th century had to do with strategic marriages and, um, and uh, divorces, you know, and separations, yeah. But, and I hate to connect it to such a tragic incident, but the drawing relevance to the Atlanta killings is the migrating body. And when you, when you say, um, strategic marriages. It makes me think about that, like how you don't necessarily have your choice at some points in, in certain specific situations that contribute to a negative experience or um, a reinforcement of certain kind of a stereotype that gets kind of like perpetuated in our kind of narrative about, you know, migrating bodies. Yeah. Yes, uh, definitely. Uh, when we talk about migration, especially in the context of Filipinas uh, in general, uh, a, a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, um, domestic labor. Um, sometimes traffic, lots of times trafficking is involved, unfortunately. Um, and I, I think um, this goes back to who we're representing in the film and that isn't really um, the experience of any of us as um, white collar, I guess, migrants. Um, 
but I, it, it sounds like, um, uh, I, when, when I started making this film, it was a way to, um, to share not only my story, but my friends' stories in a way that empowers other people um, or engages other people to tell their own stories as well. So, you know, um, my wish is, you know, when, when people watch this, uh, this film, um, people get excited, get engaged to tell their own stories as well. Uh, and it's a lot easier now because the technology is so much more accessible now. And I'm not talking just TikTok, although TikTok is a great channel, uh, is a great medium out there, but um, definitely um, figure out ways to tell your story. Um, you Are you guys on TikTok? No, <laughs> just checking. Kenneth, what do you have to add? What do you, what are your thoughts on, 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 on the gender issue? The main thing is I don't want to uh, take, take too much space on this. Um, it's, um, as with all of our lives, it's, uh, my, my life is uh, also a gendered experience, but it is not necessarily um, the gendered experience that um, speaks to wider realities. At least I have not yet quite found the, the words, you know. Um, and as far as gender is concerned, I think my story isn't even the, um, isn't one that reveals wider truths about the world. Um, what I could say is in the process of um, uh, collaborating with AD, um, it, that did seed um, a sort of, um, that, that seeded in me the, the, um, the uh, desire to create spaces for people to tell their stories, not my story, but other people's stories. Um, I think I can leave it at that, unless there's more specific uh, specific questions on that on the topic. Uh, no, that's about. good. Yeah, um, I think I'd like to take one more quick break, and then we'll come back before wrapping it up. Is to remind people. Well, we haven't even mentioned this before. Is this the the upcoming uh, virtual film screening, which is this Friday? Yes. Wait. Then is it? No, the ninth. That's tomorrow. Tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. Wait. Give the plug now before I forget, please. What's it all about? Yeah. Um. So, um, the UH uh, Manoa Center for Southeast Asian Studies, um, is right now screening the film. It, it's available through their website. You could watch it. Um, and then the uh, film viewing ends tomorrow excuse me, oh my gosh, film viewing ends tomorrow. And uh, we cap it off with a Q&A uh, discussion, uh, a panel discussion with me, Kenneth, and uh, another friend and fellow Filipino uh, migrant uh, scholar, uh, Maria Caraan, um, also with uh, UH. Uh, she's a PhD uh, student in English, I think. Um, yeah, so... Um, so uh, please uh, watch the film and then afterwards, please uh, join us uh, at the uh, uh, 
uh, at our discussion um, uh, tomorrow. And people can find uh, the link to the film on the which department site again? Uh, the uh, Center for Southeast Asian Studies. Okay. So they're so they have the link on their website and their uh, Facebook. Right. Great. Okay, so don't go away. I just want to come back for like a postscript of just like some lingering thoughts so we can leave, leave people wanting to tell their stories. Okay. Okay, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Adrian and Kenneth here about the Filipino migrating scholars perspective on just identity, history, everything. Um, what I wanted to bring to the table was the, I guess, you know, being in the US, you can't not connect uh, migration to racism in the US because I think that it's all connected. Um, how the US or shall we say the white US perceives bodies of color, no matter where you're from um, and how maybe if you care to share any personal experiences or thoughts on, um, you know, the, 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 the perception on the migrating body uh, here in the US. I, oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Kenneth. Uh, sure, okay, yeah. Uh, one thing that I, uh, uh, to, to tie it back to uh, the earlier theme of, of nation, yeah. Um, one of the kind of um, inbuilt ignorances of uh, Filipino nationalism is it tries to be very uh, race blind. Or, or if it is, if it talks about race, it talks about the Filipino race as the best race hmm. as, as a construct. Like you know, we have all these uh, uh, textbooks telling us that we are just, uh, uh, God cooked us to the right color, <laughs> whatever that means. Yeah. Um, so going overseas, I, I did not, I was not uh, equipped, unfortunately, with, with a rich conceptual vocabulary for, for race. And it was even bl further blunted by the fact that so much of pop culture in the Philippines is uh, is American pop culture. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, with that comes the sort of attendant um, idealization of, uh, of uh, the white American experience, yeah? Mm -hmm. And um, more and more, um, I think my experience has been um, I found it really, really valuable to draw from the vocabularies that uh, the archipelago in my mind has uh, started to, ha has, has developed in response to their own experiences and how I can then bring back some of those ideas to conversations I have in the Philippines. Like one of the favorite things I've picked up in my travels is um, that, that South Asian notion, uh, a lot of the South Asian thinking around shadism and colorism. Mm, colorism, yeah. Um, that's something that is almost invisible to the, the Filipinos uh, when we speak with other Filipinos. Um, everybody wants to be light-skinned. And it's also a code for- um, Class. For class. Yeah. Um, it's, a code, it's a code for status and so on. But we've never really had the, the conceptual vocabulary to, to point out that that's not something we should really be 
uh, doing. And, and I think it's that sort, it's, it's these sorts of experiences that is re can be really valuable when, when uh, we're talking about migration experiences because we're not just talking about um, the migrant um, or the Filipino migrant. Once you're in a space like Toronto or Hawaii or, or Seattle or any of these other spaces, truth is you have more in common with all the other migrants than with the, 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 the people that you assume are the default because of pop culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you just find that uh, they're, uh, that our collective meals, our conversations, our experiences in public spaces, we have more in common with each other. There's this one part I go to, to, to in Toronto where, you know, it's, it's, it's a little too, you know, like waspy. <laughs> um and me and this guy we have we have this we have this thing where he he brings music in um and watches the sunset with me it's like well it's 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 uh for, for a few beautiful weeks in the summer that was our ritual i'd be there i'd bike down there and um he'd come in a little later and he'd he'd, he'd play um he'd, he'd he'd play this amazing mixes uh out of out of jamaica yeah Hmm. And it seems like within that space, it was only him and I who had the same attitude towards music and public spaces. Like as, as I see some people walking past it, like, uh, shouldn't he be turning that down? No, no, this is a beautiful space. And um, the more as the weeks went by, I realized that, you know what? Um, the sound system in Jamaica has, has its equivalent in the Philippines, but maybe those, those, uh, those two cultural spaces have not been connected just yet. Like in the Philippines, we have, we have, um, we have fiestas, fiestas, and and uh, and and random dance parties on uh, on, on on the street. Um, there's this whole culture of what are called mobile circuits, which is yeah, basically it's almost the same thing as a as a sound system. Huh. But those two third spaces or those two third places aren't really physically connected. There's no sort of conversation flowing between those two spaces. But the playlists, there's something about the playlist, there's something about the music, and there's something about the attitude towards public space that I think is in common with, uh, with the archipelago around the world. And it's not, it's not unique to the Philippines. And once Filipinos as a, as a group sort of come down from this notion of belonging to the Filipino nation, but approach and embrace this belonging to the archipelago of peoples, that uh, that uh, that are, have been dispossessed, that have been colonized, uh, it can make for a really awesome party. Can make, Sounds I've, like I've, it. I've seen, I've tasted glimpses of it. You know, like yeah. a little bit of jerk sauce on Filipino lechon manok. You know, ah, to Toronto. That's the sort of thing that would happen here. And sometimes it's just so unbeknowing to us that it's just around us. We just don't see it. We sense it, maybe instinctively but we can't articulate that connection. And that's kind of like what you're talking about in creating those beautiful spaces. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, uh, definitely. There's, there's so many things that uh, you don't realize until you leave your country. Um, it, it's so easy to be siloed in uh, you know, uh, your way of thinking. Um, but, and this isn't like, um, uh, this isn't like a call to action, like go travel more. It's, it's, not, it's not necessarily that, um, but 
it is about it is more about listening and understanding more to each other uh, more with each other and like um realizing that your way of life isn't necessarily the norm um figuring out what makes each other unique but also like what brings us together and i think ultimately that's what this project was hoping to do yeah there's yeah, a beautiful just just uh just uh it just hit me yeah yeah um to regard the other as a as a fellow traveler there's a really beautiful word for it pakikipagsapalaran yeah pakikipagsapalaran is the filipino word for it in in uh, in actual filipino conversation pakikipagsapalaran it literally means to go on a on the same road or to test one fate one's fate together and it's usually um, within the context of the philippines it usually refers to either rural to urban migration makikipagsapalaran ako sa maynila i will go test my fate in manila or international migration makikipagsapalaran ako sa saudi i will test my fate in saudi arabia but I think we can also invoke a, a, a sense of pakikipagsapalaran as regarding the other, not as some strange, unknowable person, but regarding the other as a person who is on the same path of testing their fate as, as we are, you know, uh, on, the same, um, on the same path of um, making truths as we go along, preguntando caminamos as uh, the uh, the Zapatista saying goes right like uh, in walking we determine our questions we determine the truth that we want to create for ourselves. Yeah, I think you've just opened up like a huge um, way to understanding the parallel journeys you all take, no matter what cultural backgrounds and context we come from. So like, even though this film that you've created is specifically about Filipino migrating scholars and their worlds and their understandings and stories, it like, I would draw relevance to it in my understandings through my journey, right? It's the same thing. We're all walking these paths. We might not be seemingly on the same road, but we're like kind of like interconnected in some ways in the back street alleys and in some intertwining yeah. ways. You don't see it. You end up meeting on uh, the Tai Pai Dong in Hong Kong, for example. Yeah, now it's we're talking. My, oh my God, one of my favorite memories ever. <laughs> one of my yeah. favorite memories ever is I spent New Year's just by accident one time in Hong Kong. And um, there, was a, there was a group of uh, Filipina aunties. Yeah. I believe from uh, a part of, uh, of the Philippines, the Cordilleras, the, the uplands of the main island, uh -huh. who were celebrating their own New Year's right oh, then wow. and there. They had the whole brass ensemble. Uh, <laughs> it's like, wow, like I turned the corners like, whoa, <laughs> I did not expect, I did not expect uh, Cordillera culture to be right here. That's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. 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 So like you just saying that Pai Dong for me, like brought me straight back to my experience there and I miss it so much. So like, yeah, foods, places, spaces that we create that um, allow for connectivity, 
even like the space here where we connect so that you share your stories, but encourage people to share their stories. I want to leave it at that. I mean, so maybe some final points on like, because you did mention earlier how you wanted this film to be kind of like a an open, you know, just kind of like a starting point of how to encourage people to want to tell their own stories. How do we do that? How do we want to leave people wanting to tell their own stories and how? What are some platforms? What are some um, possibilities and, and, and constructive or concrete ideas? We have so many platforms now, um, and uh, and it really has to do with what you're comfortable with, what you want, how how you want to uh, say things. Um, for a time, I've I've I was grappling with um, you know um, how to uh, construct. Uh, this uh, this film, and after after I received all the footage, I they were all good footage, uh, and I really loved what uh, everyone, my friends Kenneth uh, did, but I couldn't really figure out how to tie it all in together, and it took the pandemic for me to figure it out, like. Um, like being stuck at home, feeling isolated, you know, so far from everyone. I, I just wanted to figure out a way to connect. And um, that's how I figured things out. That's how I was able to finish this film after all these years. Yeah. So. so COVID was good for something, huh? <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Are there some sites that people can go on or to access connections through? Um, I, I can't really recommend, but what I would say is start with what you know, start with who you know. I started with my friends and it, it ended up being a sort of like mini virtual reunion among yeah. all of us. And yeah, maybe... <laughs> start with your own story, start with your friend's stories. I think that's that's a great place to start. And we do have all these accessible platforms and social media, it could be short, you know, and direct. So yeah, that's nice. Kenneth, any final thoughts? Oh, I, I totally agree with AD on that. Like, like start with your own stories, you know? Like, can I, can I go into politics just, just one moment? <laughs> okay. Because, okay, so we live in, we live in, you know, very, very interesting times right now, yeah? Uh -huh. There's a lot of hate in the, in the air. Uh -huh. um, and I sometimes remind myself that that's not all there is in the air. I think the most important thing as far as telling stories is concerned is to regard the world with wonder and to regard our worlds with wonder, to regard each and every human being you come across as a universe to themselves, yeah? And okay, so to return to politics, I, I, there's this one line from Walter Benjamin that I keep returning to. Every F, are you gonna edit out that word? Every no, I'm not editing, don't say it. <laughs> Every fascism is the residue of a failed revolution. Wow. Yeah, AD and I are from a generation of, of revolution in the Philippines, 1986. And uh, the fascism we saw in, in, in the Philippines over the past few years, I personally feel that's the residue of the failure of that revolution. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, lots of people 
myself included. I am the residue of a failed revolution. I was promised a much better Philippines. Mm. Uh, that, that, that never came to pass. Yet I'm not fascist. I'm not fascist. So if, if, if um, to be a little vain and to be a little narcissist about it, I wake up every day and just regard that with wonders. Like, hey, man, that's amazing. Hey, I'm the residue of a failed revolution, but I'm not a fascist. It's a miracle. And if, if we can treat, uh, I, I treat that story as a miracle that's worth understanding and sort of uh, repeating and sort of finding other people or experiencing the same miracles. Like, okay, so we, we were dealing with an awful world right now, yet you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not turning into an angry, um, yeah, you know, you're yeah. not, you're not turning into anger personified. That's a miracle. And we should be under sort of understanding we write and observe and breathe to understand those miracles and that's how we tell stories i think yeah with positivity and looking towards the future and like you say you know what how do we turn that residue into something that's creative and beautiful um and you guys are just starting this conversation so well done thank you and reminding people to if you have interest in engaging in this um important conversation it is tomorrow right february 9th um, and if you need more information, Adi, can you please remind everyone who's hosting it? <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. So just go to the um, uh, to the University of Hawaii Center for Southeast Asian Studies website. I think that's cseashawaii.org, uh, and you'll find the details there. Um, Please feel free to watch our film and please feel free to uh, join us uh, in our talk tomorrow, um, uh, February 9th, uh, 2 p.m. Uh, uh, Hawaii time. So, yeah, thank you again. Christopher. Great. Thank you so much for your sharing and uh, wishing you luck with many more stories to come. That's uh, Adrian and Nathan here on K2H. Thank you. Thank you for having us.